Well, thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate that. It's great to be here this morning. I tell you, things have really changed in the last year, year and a half since I was here. I, some of you, how many of you know who I am, I mean, before this? Okay, about half and half. And a lot of you are new. The church has just really grown here. This camp has grown over the last year, year and a half. I remember we were having about half the chairs uh, set up uh, a few, uh, you know, just a year ago. And then, uh, of course, we, were at, we started at the other school where I used to come every week and preach. I'm telling you, since Doug's uh, been here, I feel like I'm interrupting things, you know, because he's doing such a great job, is he not? I mean, don't you think? And I'm telling you, the, uh, the band was so good uh, this morning and uh, just improving every single time that I come, and I appreciate them so much as well and, and know some of them. And so um, what I want us to do, I want us to take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 8. And as you're doing that, um, I recall that um, great ep- those great epic films that are true stories, of course, Rocky. Anybody? Hey, yo, Adrian. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, in, the, in Rocky III, Rocky's already the champion. He gets beat up by Clubber Lang. And then he begins to train to, uh, in order to uh, defeat him in the next battle. And you see him running on the beach, see him doing one-handed push-ups, drinking raw eggs, things like that. All kinds of sacrifices and going through all kinds of suffering for that. Many of you, of course, have heard of Tom Brady. I'm not sure if he's retired yet or not. You know, somebody said he retired. I think he was 74, something like that, and he retired. And a quarterback of the New England Patriots and then Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But his wife wanted him to uh, retire because it was taking so much time away from the family because he had to train all the time. Now, when you're young, you have to train in order to play pro football. But when you're old, you really have to train. And it takes a lot of time. You say, well, yeah, they have to go all, all through this, all this sacrificing and all this suffering, whether it's boxing, whether it's uh, football, baseball, But what about us as Christians? I mean, we're already, we've already won the game. The Bible says to us in Romans uh, 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Then the central verse that you'll be looking at probably next week, Romans 8.37, central to the entire series that we're looking at, it says, no, uh, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this word conqueror, we think to ourselves back in the old days, you know, when they had, you know, all the, you know, the things in the the arena. What it means to us today is that we're more than winners. That's what it's saying to us. You're more than a winner through Jesus Christ. Now, if we've already won the game, then why all the suffering? What about the suffering? You know, we've been adopted into the family of God. You talked about that last week. Why all the suffering that we're going through. Well, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome. As you recall, he's never been there. Uh, As he's uh, writing this letter, he's writing it from a prison term for preaching the gospel. So he's already suffering right then. And so as he is going through the suffering, he writes a letter to the church at Rome, probably the most important church, evangelistically at least, of all the churches. All the roads led to Rome. And so he gave them a doctrinal treatise, and that is the first five chapters talk about salvation, 
6 through 8 talk about sanctification, and then the application of that is uh, in the rest of the book. And so as we're looking at the first five chapters, what does it say? Well, the wrath of God is poured out upon all ungodliness. In chapter 1, we find that the person who's never heard the gospel is lost. Then in chapter 2, we find the person that feels like they can uh, win themselves to Christ. They can, they can do enough in order to save themselves. They're lost. And then in chapter 3, we find that religious person is also lost without Christ. And finally, Romans 3.23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Then after, he says, look, we're justified by faith through our, uh, our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. When Jesus comes into our heart, we are declared not guilty before the throne of God. Now, just because we're declared not guilty before the throne of God and we're saved from the penalty of sin does not mean that we're saved from the power of sin in our life. And that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 are all about. And we're looking at the struggle. And I know you've gone over this verse already, but let me review it to you. In Romans 7, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is the Apostle Paul. This is him talking to you as he was then with the struggles that he was going through. He was saying, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So even Paul was going through these kind of struggles. But then at the end of this section, he says, we're more than winners. So why do we go through the suffering? Why the sacrifices? After all, we are operating from a place of victory, not to a place of victory. Jesus has already won things for us on the cross. And so why does it take a process that includes suffering in order to get us through to the next level? You ask the question, why, why is my marriage going through what it's going through? Why are my children? I love my children, you say. I, I love my kids. I'm glad I had kids. I just wish I'd have had maybe other kids besides you know, the ones I have. And, um, and so you're thinking, wow, you know, what about all that suffering? I, I just can't believe what I'm going through. I thought once I got saved, man, everything was just going to be great. What about that? Paul reminds us in this passage that we, that God is at work even when we don't see his hand. God is at work even when we don't see his hand. And the same salvation, the same cross that saved us from the penalty of sin also saves us from the power of sin as well. So he says this in three ways. He says, first of all, God is at work around you. When you feel like God's not there, you can't see his hand at all. When you feel like the suffering is upon you, God is at work around you. Look at verse 18 of this passage. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing the glory that is revealed to us. I'm, I'm telling you, that's a memory verse right there. That's a verse right there that you need to commit to, me to memory. It says, for I consider, I count on the sufferings of this present time, not even worthy to be compared with the glory. And the only thing that separates us from the rest of the world is the glory of God that lives within us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 19, for, for the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself be set free from its bondage to its corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Here we find 
in the original language at least, the Bible talks about groanings. And it talks about groanings in a sense that uh, it's a way of facing death. When, when the Bible says, I'm struggling with this, when the Bible tells us that, we're, uh, that, that God has subjected us to fruit, the fruitlessness and subject, subjected the creation to bondage and corruption, it's talking about in a grieving way. It's talking about a death-type way. And we find it three times here. We first of all find it in those, the verses I just read just a few moments ago, creation groans. Before the fall, we have no record whatsoever of an earthquake, no record whatsoever of, of sin, no record whatsoever of tornadoes and hurricanes, nothing that is natural, that we would call natural disasters in this life before the fall just wasn't there. Creation now is groaning over the futility and unable to really complete the original purpose of God. We find that Christians also are groaning. Look in verse um, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the, the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of the bodies. For in this we have hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For he who hopes for what he sees. For we have hope for what we do not see. We wait with it for patience. Here he says, look, the Christian groans as well. We have all around us decay and death. One of the things that we cannot escape, we just came out of a marriage series, and, and you all had it uh, before, but we just came, came out of a marriage series just a few weeks ago, and I reminded the people that your marriage your upbringing as children, your parenting cannot escape the brokenness of this world. It's just all around you. We suffer some, many times for our own sin. There's no question about that. We, question, we, we sometimes suffer for the sins of others in our life. There's nobody can hurt you, for example, like a child can hurt you, someone you love. But we also suffer because we just live in a sinful world, and we are affected by all the things around us. And the Christians are groaning. Now, the Holy Spirit, in verse 26, we'll come back to that in just a moment, also groans in prayer for us. One writer that was uh, studied Western civilization, United States, an archaeologist, went down through the centuries and discovered one thing that was true about Western society. And that is, we are the least society of all time that cannot handle adversity. We are weakest at handling adversity. Now, why? Well, obviously, we're expecting something that we're not getting. The high expectations are pretty high, and the, the return, we feel like, is a little bit low. But in this, we, we find two different types of people. We find some people, maybe even in this room, that you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord. And maybe you have doubts about the Bible. You have doubts. I was reading the other day where uh, only 46%, I think, of Americans believe the Bible now is the Word of God. And so maybe you have doubts about that. Then there's also the believer as well. But what about, what about the non-believer? The problem with the non-believer is this. Most of the time, you are, if I can say this word, let me define it, secular. And what I mean by that is that you're people of the now. Sometimes... Uh, because of all the, uh, the Christianese type 
uh, language. We think secular is something really evil, but really it just simply means the now. Uh, a secular person does not believe in the afterlife. Sorry, I keep hitting that, don't I? A secular person does not believe in the afterlife. Therefore, everything has to be done now. Social justice has to be done now because there is no justice in the afterlife. You've got to treat one another. and Everything's got to be fair in this life. You've got to get all the gusto you can out of this life. You've got to have all the fun out of this life because there is no life hereafter. So since there's no life hereafter, you've got to be the happiest that you can be. Now, there's a lot of problems to that. Obviously, there is an afterlife, but also there's a problem there that I don't know if too many people outside of Christ, at least, that are that happy, that live such a happy, joyful life. But here's a couple of quotes from you, for you. I just don't believe the God of Christianity exists, said Hillary, an undergrad English major. God allows terrible suffering in the world, so he might be either all-powerful, but not good enough, to end evil and suffering, or else he might be all good, but not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Either way, all good, the all good, all powerful God of the Bible doesn't exist. And this is the way that many people are feeling today. In fact, Hillary's boyfriend said this, this isn't a philosophical issue to me, added Rob. Hillary's boyfriend, this is personal. I don't believe in a God who allows suffering, even if she, he or she exists. Maybe God exists, Maybe not. But if he does, he can't be trusted. What's happening here? The secular mind says, this is what I deserve. And you hear this all the time. This is what I deserve. This is what I expect. The world is not giving me this. So somehow God is either not blessing or at least he's not getting out of my way. You know, the secular mindset would say, look, if God exists, if he's there, if he's not going to bless me, just get out of my way. I can do this on my own. Now, the problem to that, and this is not really about the passage, so I'm just going to end it real quickly. The problem in getting away from, say, suffering, that's what they're saying. The problem in ending suffering today in this life is that he would have to end evil. God would have to do away with evil forever. Now, the problem to that is I'm evil. I'm a sinner saved by grace. In order to get rid of evil, all sin must be a race forever. From this point on, nobody else can sin. Well, to do that, he'd have to get rid of me, and he'd have to get rid of you. Now, there's going to be a day coming where we're in heaven where there is no sin. We'll be saved from the very presence of sin. But the problem to right now is looking at things with my high expectations, and I feel like I've got a low return because God's not, well, God's just getting in my way. But what about the believer? The believer is different. He sees the afterlife, but there's a problem in our perception and how we look at God when we just really can't take the suffering. Look with me back in the, our last week's passage. In verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, might, we may also be glorified with him. He says, look, we, we've been adopted. We're children of God. You see, that changes things a little bit, except I challenge you to think about your own Christian life right now. Ask yourself the question, do you see God, do you see God as a father, or do you see him as a boss? See, there's a difference there. First of all, if you see him as a boss, it's like a contract. Look, God, 
this is what, or, or say to your boss, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix this all week long. And at the end of the week, end of the month, I'm going to expect what? To get what? Paid. That's exactly right. That's the deal. The deal is I do this, I get paid. We look at God oftentimes by saying, look, I'm going to church. My goodness, I heard Dwayne Mercer preach today. That ought be a, you know, I ought to get an extra blessing for that, you know, that kind of thing. I've been to church, I read the Bible occasionally, and I serve you. Now, here's the deal. At the end of the day, you've got to bless my life. You've got to bless me, bless me financially, bless my family. You, nothing can happen to my family. All these things can come about because that, at the end of the day, is our deal. Now, God, <clears throat> you're going back on your deal. You're going back on your deal. Now, here's the difference, another difference. The boss, for example, somebody in here, you, you've got a friend, we'll say, in Ukraine, and they're getting married. And you're thinking, I wanna, I, I, I'm going to be the best man or maid of honor at the wedding in Ukraine. So I'm going. So you ask your boss off for, for work. And the boss is thinking to themselves, I can't afford to let you go. That, that's going to take a whole week. I mean, the travel, the wedding, coming back, maybe more. I need you here. Everybody knows that uh, the restaurant business, whatever business it is, we're all shorthanded. You have to stay here. On the other hand, you go to your dad, and uh, we'll say your, your dad is much like a biblical dad. He loves you. Ukraine. No, you can't go to the Ukraine. No, if you do that, you won't bring in your paycheck to help, help the rent. No, he's not going to say that, is he? You go to the Ukraine, it's dangerous over there. They've got a war going on. You see, the boss, if you think you have a boss in God, he's after one thing. That is whatever is good for God. If you look at God as your father, then you know that whatever is best for you is what he wants. And so we suffer, but God is at work all around us. Now look at the promise here. He says in verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present world not worthy of the glory that is revealed. But look back up in verse 17. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. An experience. Experiencing suffering with God. Interesting concept. I was, uh, I planted a church, as you know, back in Atlanta, Georgia. I got there, and the mother church had just had a serious tragedy. One of their members had gotten in his car. The mother wasn't watching the two-year-old. Went out of the house, wanted to say, goodbye to daddy, or maybe just didn't want daddy to leave for work. Found themselves in the back of the car in the driveway. The man did not see his child and hit the child. Killed it. Killed the little girl. Now, I don't know exactly all the things that were, I didn't know the couple. It happened before I got there. But they kind of dropped out of church. They eventually were divorced. And it was a tragedy. What happened? They begin to part. Why? Well, maybe he was saying, you should have been watching my, my baby. He was, she was saying, you should have been watching where you were going. And they did not experience the tragedy together, and therefore they were apart. 
I also know a young couple who lost a baby just a few weeks old, and they drew together. They suffered together. They experienced it all together. And because of that, they're closer today than they've ever been before in their life. What was the difference? The first couple experienced things by themselves. The second couple experienced things together. He's saying, look, you need to invite God into your experience to say, God, I want you to go through this suffering with me. And when you go through that suffering with God, you realize that God is really at work around you. He's really doing something in your life. And because of that, you grow closer and closer together. But he says not only that, but he says God is at work also above you. Even in the midst of your suffering, look what, look what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. He says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us with our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. You say, well, groanings, I mean, I thought this groaning was about death and experiencing death. The Holy Spirit experienced that. He was with Jesus on the cross. And so he knew, he knows about the grief of that. And we who are searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because of the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Right now, no matter what you're going through, it may be problems in your marriage. It could be problems raising children. It could be a job. It could be your career. Maybe you're just not where you want to be in your life. But whatever you're going through, the Holy Spirit knows what you, what he needs to pray for according to the will of God. He's praying for the will of God to be done in your life. And it can be fervent. And it can be, and it's not a speaking in tongues type of thing because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that only a few are going to do that. He's praying for everyone here. And so it's groanings that we can't hear. Even right now, the Bible says that the Father loves you. He sent his Son to die on the cross for you. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for you. That's what he says. And here the Spirit of God is also groaning and praying for you, for the will of God to be done in your life, even when you don't know the will of God. Listen to what I'm saying. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all for you. Who in the world can be against you? Everybody. The whole trinity is in your court, is in your corner. But we find, I, I remember praying, witnessing to a, a young man from England several years ago. And as I was sharing with him, you just have to know that England, about 2% of the people on any given Sunday even go to church in England. And so he wasn't a churchgoer. I, I was sharing with him. And, you know, I planted a seed. You know what I'm saying. You know, plant, plant a seed. You just wasn't really time to say, hey, you want to receive Jesus. And I could tell he had some opposition there, and he wasn't really getting to him. I said, can I pray for you? He said, sure. And I prayed for him. And I can't describe exactly what happened. All I can, in a way, but the Spirit of God descended on us in that room in an extremely powerful way. And even as I was saying the words, I could feel the Spirit of God somehow praying for things that I could not fathom. And as they were praying, we, we were praying, 
I looked up after I said amen, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, I've never been touched like that before in my entire life. The Spirit of God praying. But then, I need to close. And that is the Spirit of God is working in you. Look in verse 28. And we know that those who love God, are all things work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it's talking here about saved people. Those who are called according to his purpose, they work together for the good, they're, they're called of God, that's us. That's the Christian people. If you're not a Christian today, I, I really don't have an answer for you, except to receive Jesus. But here we find there's a promise. All things working together, and you've heard this illustration many, many times about baking a cake. You know, the vanilla extract is horrible, and, the, and if you try to eat flour, it's, it's really bad. But if you put it all together, it can come out to be a really nice cake, really good tasting. So everything, the Bible never says everything works for your good. It says everything works together for the good. But how do you know? I recall a story, hearing a story about um, um, Normandy. You know, that was kind of turned the corner of World War II. And the story has it where two men, uh, older gentlemen by this time, were talking at an American Legion um, rally or, or convention. And the guys, first guy got up and said, look, when we were on the ground, there we were on the ground, and I never knew that we were going to win. In fact, I turned to my buddy, and I saw all the carnage everywhere around us. I said, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. And then later on, same convention, man was saying, I was flying up here. And I looked down on the beach, and I saw the Marines coming in, and I saw the beaches being stormed. And I saw the carnage, but I turned to my buddy and I said, we're going to win. You see, when you're down on the ground and you're just looking at things around you, you think to yourself, I'm losing, but God is looking above and he can tell you, you already won. You just need to hang in there. You've already won. And you're thinking, yeah, but pastor, I, I look back on the things that if I could only change, if I could only gotten saved sooner, or maybe if I would have had my children a little different day, something would have changed, or maybe had more or had less. If I'd have taken this job, if, if, if. There's a, uh, and I'll close in just a moment, but there's a, there's a movie, and uh, I wouldn't recommend it because I think it's, it's rated uh, way beyond me there, but uh, I saw it on television. And it was an Ashton Kutcher, is that his name? Ashton Kutcher movie, an old movie called The Butterfly Effect. And they get the butterfly effect from the, um, uh, maybe it's a wives' tale, maybe it's just, a, I don't know, just made up. But the theory is when a butterfly flaps its wings in Africa on the coast, it, just one flap affects the weather pattern all the way to the United States of America. One one flap. That's the theory. It just changes the weather pattern. So it's called the butterfly effect. And what happened in his life, he had his best friend, which was his girlfriend's brother, play a prank, put a firecracker in a mailbox. The guy comes out to get the, the mail. He opens it up and it kills him, explodes and it kills him. So his future brother-in-law is in prison. 
And he thinks to himself, hey, I can change this. I can change this. How can he change that? Same way his dad would do. He could concentrate or something. Have a, he'd even have a, a brain bleed. I mean, uh, blood would be coming out of his ears. But he would concentrate and he would put himself back into that time. So he went back to that time. And instead of his, uh, his friend or this man coming out, he runs to the mailbox to take the firecracker out, but it explodes. And it leaves him with no feeling in his legs. So he's in a wheelchair. Now his girlfriend's married to somebody else. I mean, the, the brother-in-law, future brother-in-law is doing just fine. So they can't have it this way. So he goes back. He changes it again. And when he comes back after changing it, now he can't find his girlfriend. Turns out she's a prostitute on, on illegal drugs. Her brother, somehow being out of prison during that scenario, infected her in such a way, in a, in a bad way, that she really lost her life. He's, well, I can't have it that way. So he goes back and does it again. And this time, he comes out, and, and he wasn't there. Uh, somehow he wasn't there in order to help his mother. And so he visits his mother in the hospital who's dying of cancer because she never stopped smoking. And over and over and over again, no matter what he does, it's a butterfly effect. Everything seems to get worse and worse and worse. You know, we don't have that kind of wisdom. We need someone flying up above that has not only that God is all-powerful and sovereign, and not only does he love us more than anyone else, but we need someone to say, this is the right thing to do. This is wisdom. We need someone that's overseeing everything, can fly up above us, to look down on our life, each individual life, and with all wisdom, make the right calls. And we have that in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, there's a purpose to all this. Now, we've said that, yeah, your sin can cause you pain and suffering. There's no question about that. Other people's sins. But sometimes you're really falling. In fact, let me just challenge you to do one thing. And I need to challenge the other campus as well at some point real soon. You know, you're going through a great time here at church. We bought some land. Pretty soon, going to put a building on there. All kinds of excitement. Don't you want God to keep on blessing this church? Amen. Don't you want God to, to bless your family and bless your life? So let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that would cause this church not to be blessed? Or cause your family not to get and receive all the blessings of God? But even if that answer is no, you still go through suffering. Why? Because in verse 29 it says, For whom we did foreknow, he also predestined. That is, God planned that we be conformed to the image of his Son. All those who would be saved, the, the plan of God is to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, the justified. And those who justified, he also glorified. What's he saying here? Back in the book of Genesis, God said, I've created man after my own image. The image was marred by sin. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Now we're being saved from the power of sin in our life. So why? We can become more like what we originally planned, God planned us to be in the image of God. And that is the more we grow in Christ, the more in the image of Jesus Christ we become. There's a purpose to all the trials. James 1 tells us about it. James, a servant of God, of Lord Jesus Christ, 
the 12 tribes. He's writing all the Jewish people. My brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. And patience, hope. God, and then Romans, of course, Romans 5, says, proven character in your life. And so, God's plan for our life is for, for him to do something in our life that is so wonderful, and it takes inner pressure and outward pressure. The inner pressure from the Word of God. I read the Bible, and I say, oh, i got to change. There's something in here. God, you've convicted me, and, or I've heard that sermon. I've got to do something about that. That's inner pressure. That's, that's the desired way. But also there's outward pressure. And God chipping away, like at a sculptor. You know, he's, he's going he's gonna to sculpt a lion. So he was asked the question, how do you do that? And he said, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like a lion. God's chipping away at everything in our life that doesn't look like Jesus. That we would be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul knew exactly about all the sufferings. He was in prison. The Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians that he was, he was beaten. Um, 39, you know, stripes, he's been jailed, he's been shipwrecked. He knows about suffering. And he knows to tell us by his experience that if you stay with God, God is going to bless. And of course, as I said a few moments ago, as Christian believers, what do we have to do? We trust him. We say, God, I'm going through this trial, and I want you to go through it with me. I want to trust you to go through the trial with me. On the other hand, if you're not a believer, I don't know that I have much of an answer for you until you come to know Christ. This world's tough. This life is tough. And for you to say, I just want to be happy, good luck with that. You know, I, I pray that you'll have some happy moments in your life. But it's just not like I, I've just never met that person. That can, I can really say after watching their life, wow, truly happy. I used to live in a fraternity house in college. And all those guys were partying. They were having a good, but you sit down with them. Are you, are you really fulfilled? Are you really happy? Do you really feel like you're going the direction? No, no, no. Just covering up what lacks on the inside. One thing I know, that you can trust God. You can trust God who loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to die on you on the, for you on the cross. Two things I know about the cross. Two things I know about me. First of all, I know that there is something really awful, awfully wrong with me. For God to send his son to go to that link to die for me on the cross, there must be something wrong with me. But the second thing I know, there must be something radically valuable about me. Since Jesus was willing to come and pay for your sins on the cross, that you could be one day more and more conformed to the image of his son and live that fulfilled, victorious, winner's life that he has for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. 
The prayer goes like this. Would you pray with me? You want to receive Jesus. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Loving me enough that even though I'm a sinner, you died for me on the cross. You took my place. So God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins based upon the cross. And I ask you, God, to have Jesus to come into my life. I want to put you on the throne of my heart and my life. I want any suffering in my life to have a purpose, and I don't want to suffer more than I need to suffer because of my own sin. I give my heart to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Doug, if you'll come and just give, you have any instruction about the, the card? Everybody has a card, right? A welcome card. If you want to give some instruction, that would be great.